Well, as we turn to the Word of God this morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 and 1 Peter 2. Hebrews 10 and 1 Peter 2. We're continuing our series called God Is, and we've been, over the course of this year, been asking the question, who is God, and looking to His Word to answer that question. And today, specifically, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. We have in the life of Christ the perfect example for us to follow. And we know this, that when we look at the life of Jesus, that, that his life will challenge us. It will always challenge. The life of Jesus should always challenge you. It should challenge the way you live your life, the decisions you make, the way that you do things. Uh, the life of Christ will move us out of our comfort zones. I don't know about you, but I like to get comfortable. I like to be just, I get in a comfort zone. I get in a, in a bubble and I'm like, I just don't want to move out of this. This is just the way I do things. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he will challenge our comfort zones. I don't know about, about your life, the way you read the word of God, but I know this, when I read the word, that, that, that there's often these times where I get uncomfortable, I get challenged to move out of what the norm is. And, and in fact, w- when we look at lo- the life of Jesus, we'll realize that his life will often contradict the usual way things are done. In fact, in his own life, he didn't do things the usual way, that he did things often the unusual way, and that should challenge us in our walk with the Lord. Today, we're going to focus on the subject of obedience, and if you're anything like me, you just had a visceral reaction to that word. Obedience is hard for us. I don't know about what it's looked like in your life, but I believe that for all of us, obedience is difficult. We struggle with obedience from when we're little kids. We, we want to be independent. We want to make our own decision. That word no comes into our vocabulary really, really early and gets used a lot. And we just find more creative ways as we get older to use that word, to say those things in ways that maybe are a little more pal- palatable than what a two-year-old would say but the reality is there's this, this resistance to obedience. So even to bring up the word, I just kind of rises up in us. And we're like, well, I'm, I make my own decisions. I do my own thing. But the reality is, and the fact is that we can't consi- cannot consider the life of Jesus without looking at obedience and considering obedience We can't look at the life of Jesus without exploring this idea of obedience because Jesus walked in obedience to the Father. The Bible talks in many places about the fact that Jesus was obedient to the Father. And we'll unpack that a little bit more today. The Bible uses the word obey or obeyed or obedience or obedient in whatever form 258 times between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's a lot. And when the Bible uses a word over and over and over again, it means that we need to pay attention. It means that's an important theme for us to look at. And so, of course, in the life of Jesus, but really throughout Scripture, this idea of obedience is critical. Actually, if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and and their temptation and giving into them temptation to eat the fruit, that was an act of disobedience. And so from the very beginning, we see that, that this idea of obedience and disobedience is just really ingrained in us. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.21, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. There's a lot going on in the, the chapter surrounding this, but I want to focus on this particular verse. Peter making this statement. This is the Peter that walked with Jesus and often challenged Jesus. But at the end of the day, Peter recognized this. Jesus gave his life for us. He gave his life for you. And that his call then to us is out of the sacrifice he made that we would follow his examples and follow in his steps. That we would do the things that Jesus models for us and calls us to. David writes in Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written within my heart. The Old Testament sacrificial system that God set up and that he gave to the Israelites in, in Exodus and in Leviticus and Deuteronomy created or, or made a way for the people to be able to come before the Lord and atone for their sins. And the process of offering those sacrifices was continual. They were always going back and having to make sacrifice on, on behalf of their sin. But at the end of the day, the thing that God really wants is not sacrifice and offering. That those things stand in the way. In fact, one of the passages we read in Hebrews this last week talked about the fact that the law wasn't God's desire. The law just was a means to an end. That really what God wants is our hearts. He wants to be in complete relationship with us. That he, as David expresses here, that our desire, that he wants that our desire would be to do his will. And that his law wouldn't be written on tablets, but that it would be written in our hearts. That there would be this deeply relational component to the way that we engage with God. So the question is this, why is it that when this subject is, is brought up, or very often when the subject of obedience is brought up, one that has such huge importance, very obviously in the word of God, why is it so difficult for us? Why do we balk at, it, balk at it? Why do we resist it? Why do we hear that word obedient? And, and it's just almost immediately, we just want to go, no, no. Well, I want to frame the conversation for us this way. And it's related to raising children. Megan and I have had the privilege to raise four kids. And our kids are now in their late teens and early 20s. We're in a unique stage of life. Um, but I remember when we found out we were pregnant with our first, and we weren't ready. We absolutely were not ready. I don't think anyone is ever ready for their first child or for any of the next ones that come because they all bring their own uniqueness. Uh, our first baby arrived before our first anniversary, and so we went from being newlyweds to new parents pretty quickly, and we were definitely in way over our heads. But it's amazing to think that God entrusted us and to us, these children, his kids, his children, to raise, to care for, to watch over, to nurture, to train up. 
you know, that, that we would be the, the ones, God's chosen instruments to pour into their lives and, and invest in their lives, that God entrusted them to our care. They, we didn't pick them. They, God gave them to us. But there's even by, by our society and by our culture an expectation that you would take care of this child. It's there are laws that exist to make sure that parents will raise their children and watch over them. And so it's not just an expectation from the Lord. It's an expectation from the society and from the culture at large. And our job as their parents is, is and was to provide for them to protect them, to nurture them, to make sure that their needs were taken care of. And that definitely involved boundaries and rules. It involved setting clear boundaries and clear rules. Was it a perfect system? Not at all. And you know that if you've raised kids, it is not a perfect system. It doesn't always go the way you want. But to to parent really is to do that. It is to set the boundaries and the rules, and there is an expectation that as parents that our children will obey us, that they will do the things that we ask them to do. So, of course, my kids never resisted or disobeyed. No, absolutely not. They, they did, and I have great kids, but the reality is, is kids do. There was all kinds of resistance in all kinds of ways. I don't, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do, and it's amazing how soon they learn it, how soon that, that sin nature really comes up and reveals itself. No, I want to resist. I want to do my own thing. Jesus reminds us that the first commandment in the commandments that God gave to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment that came with a promise was the commandment to obey your mother and your father. That this, this commitment to obeying parents came with an inherent blessing that would be poured out. And so obedience is tied to blessing. Now, over time, our kids have grown. And as they grew and as they matured, trust was developed. And uh, those boundary lines expanded. We don't have the same rules for our kids now as we did when they were five and six and eight and 12 years old. As they've gotten older, those boundary lines have expanded in fact, I just added another one of my kids to our auto insurance yesterday, you know, and, and when they were born, I couldn't even fathom having to do that, yet here we are. And so there's a, there's a freedom that comes with that and a privilege that comes with that. See, there's things that they had to ask for permission to do when they were five. They no longer have to ask for permission to do those things, but there's other places because they're under our care and under our authority and under... Um, our, uh, the covering of our home that they still need to ask for. And so those, those places, those boundary lines expand. Now, unfortunately, the analogy breaks down here a little bit um, because, of course, we are children of God and we're called to walk in obedience with God. The thing is, is my kids will grow up and they will leave the home and they will make decisions for themselves and that my role in being that authority in their lives will change. And they will start making their own decisions. And, uh, and I move from being really an authority to into an advisory role. But the breakdown of the anal- analogy is this, is that we never stop being God's kids. And we never move out of being under the authority of God, under his covering, under his roof, as it were. 
And so parenting is this incredible picture of what God expects from us, that he's inviting us into a place where we as children, as his children, would look to him for care and nurture and protection. And so often, aren't our prayers filled with those kinds of requests? God, take care of me. God, direct me. God, heal me. And, and we sound like children, and, and he's okay with that. He loves that we can come. In fact, Jesus talked about the fact that we need to have faith like a child. And faith like a child is, is this, that, that we wouldn't feel that, that urge to not go, to that, that, that thing that holds us back from asking God, a, a child doesn't care. They're just going to ask for what they need. They're, and they're going to put their full trust in their father and their mother. Well, God says, I want you to come to me with all of those things. We never stop being under the authority of God. So I want to take a look at Hebrews 10. This passage talks a little bit about Jesus's posture in relation to his father, and this is a part of the example that we're called to follow. He, the writer of Hebrews says this, starting in verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. The writer of Hebrews in this chapter is talking about Jesus being the final sacrifice for our sins. He became the perfect sacrifice once and for all to make atonement for our sins, to bring forgiveness for our sins so that there was not an ongoing sacrificial process. And so Jesus echoes what we read from the psalmist David. And he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. That God wasn't satisfied with the sacrificial process. He, he, it wasn't enough. It didn't, it didn't restore. It didn't fix the problem. And so Jesus says, you prepared a body for me. And that Jesus took on flesh and that he came into this world and that he became a man. He took on flesh with the intent that he would go to the cross and become this ultimate sacrifice. And then it says that Jesus reflects this attitude. He says, it's written about me that I have come to do your will, my God. That was the posture of Jesus's life. Father, I have come to do your will. And over and over and over, we see in the life of Jesus that he would take time to be alone with the Father, to hear the voice of the Father. And then he obeyed and did everything the Father called him to do. See, Jesus willingly and obediently does the will of God. He does the things that God has asked him to do. We read a few weeks ago in Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus was obedient even to death on a cross, that he was willing to die. And it was an act of ultimate obedience on his part. See, Jesus had a singular focus. And that was to do the will of the Father. We see this in Luke 22 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's betrayed and before he goes through the Passion Week and ultimately is crucified. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Father. He's spending time with his Father and he's in agony. And it says this in verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, that is the disciples, 
knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What an amazing picture here in the garden where Jesus, knowing what is in front of him, and he's known all his life. He's known why he came. But here in this moment, the anguish of what he's about to suffer is overwhelming for him. And he cries out, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That Jesus is, is walking this road. He's walking this path. As the scripture says here, that he's drinking from this cup, that he's partaking in something that is extremely difficult. And if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, let it be done that way. But then Jesus utters these words, in the midst of sweating drops of blood, which is an actual condition. There's a a point of stress where your body isn't under such stress that the the, the blood vessels below the skin will rupture and come through uh, like, like sweat. And, um, and in this moment, Jesus cries out, but not my will, yours be done. Not my will, yours be done. Church, if I can encourage you to follow any example of Jesus, it's this one right here. Not my will, your will be done. As Peter said that Jesus has laid for us his example that we would follow in his steps. That we would say to God, God, it doesn't matter what I'm walking through. Not my will, your will be done. God, it doesn't matter what I'm facing. It doesn't matter what I'm up against. Not my will, your will be done. That that would be the cry of our heart every single day of our lives, that we would surrender our lives in such a way that we would say, God, not my will, your will be done. Well, in what way is God calling us to surrender? In, what, in, what, in which ways, in which parts of our lives is God really calling us to walk in obedience to him? And the answer is simply this, in every area, in every aspect of your life. See, the word of God speaks to every dimension of your life, to every part of who you are, that there's not a single part of who you are, of how you live, of how you think, of what you do, of, of, of your finances, of your relationships, of your work. Every part of who you are is under the covering and the authority of God. And then God would say to us, I'm calling you to walk in obedience to my will for your life. I'm calling you to walk in obedience to the statutes, to the, the laws, to the, the guidelines, to the principles that I've laid out in Scripture, that we would surrender every part of who we are, that we would lay down our pride and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. What does this involve? What well, first involves knowing God, that you can't know his will, you can't know what God is speaking if you don't know him, that we have to be in relationship with him. And as we've talked about already today, Jesus made a way for that relationship to be established. For us to be able to walk from our sinful old way of living 
into an incredible, thriving, blessed relationship with the Lord. We need to know God and not just know about Him. As we've been on this journey this year, the goal isn't just to accumulate information about God. Our goal, our desire is to know Him, to become more intimate with Him, to see His face, to sense His presence. And as we get to know Him, then what happens is this, we begin to hear His voice and to know His heart and understand what it is that he is saying to us and that he's calling, and that we would constantly be asking the question, God, what are you speaking? What are you saying to me? What, what are you asking of me? And, and it's, it's, it's so important to remember throughout Scripture we see this, that it's not a one-way conversation, that God will dialogue with us, that he will speak to us through his word. He will speak to us by his spirit. Remember, I talked about the fact that, that watching the life of Jesus would challenge us and, and break us out of our comfort zones. And sometimes there is a process that we walk through to arrive at that place. God, what is your will? What are you speaking? What, what are you asking of me? And that we would sit still long enough to hear his voice. Sometimes we're just so on the go. Even in the midst of quarantine, even in the midst of, uh, of restrictions, it's amazing how our days can get so filled up and so busy. It says of Jesus, say, he often withdrew to quiet places to pray, to be with the Father, to hear the voice of the Father, probably just to be reminded of what God had called him to. We need to get alone with the Father, so we need to know God, and we need to hear God, but then we need to obey we need to obey. And this is really where the battle is. I think there are a lot of people who know God. I think of a lot of us coming to a relationship with God, and we love that. I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with Jesus. God knows me, and I know him. And I think a lot of people come to a place where they would even say, man, I've heard from the Lord. God is speaking to me. I read the Bible today, and I've, I've been in the Word, and man, there's so much that I'm learning. But that's not enough that we would then take that next step and we would obey. And again, this really is where the battle wages. This is why Jesus cries out and says, your will, not my will. Your will, not my will. Try to say that with me. Your will, not my will. It's hard. But we have to make that the cry of our lives. See, from the Garden of Eden till now, this has been the battle, that we want to do what we want to do. See, Adam and Eve had everything. God placed them in the midst of this beautiful garden and said, tend to this garden. They had everything, and, and they had direct access to God. Yet they were lured away by Satan with the promise of being like God, of having this insight, of having this wisdom of having something else and really in our lives it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is that satan will always come with something else something more something you don't have and and remember this is we see this even as little kids when we when we're little we might have the best thing in the world but the, the person next to us has something else and then all of a sudden i want what they have i want what they have and we get lured away Adam and Eve had everything, but they gave in to that temptation and they made decisions for themselves instead of walking in obedience. Cain kills his brother just a few chapters later, kills his brother in a jealous rage. 
right after God had told him that sin is lurking at the door and wants to have him, wants to devour him, wants to destroy him. And God just explicitly tells Cain, you have to get control of this, that you need to walk in obedience to me. Don't give in. You have to master it, yet he gives in. King Saul offers a sacrifice that he shouldn't have. After the prophet had told him, you're not supposed to, to, to offer that sacrifice. You wait. You wait until I come. In 1 Kings 22, you can read about it. And in fact, it's, it's Samuel who comes to Saul after he's made the sacrifice. And, and Saul says to Samuel, you see, I've, I've done this thing. I've made the sacrifice to the Lord. And it's Samuel who, who speaks those words, that, that sacrifice and offering is not what the Lord desires, that he wants obedience, that he wants the inner parts of our lives to walk in obedience to who God is. And so on it goes. And throughout Scripture, we see over and over and over and over people who make decisions for themselves rather than walking in obedience to the Lord, up to and including us today. James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Don't just listen to it. Don't just hear the, the, the word of God, but put it into practice in your life. I want to ask you today, where is God calling you to walk in obedience to him? This is not about walking in obedience to the church or walking in obedience to a pastor or walking in obedience even to, to your family or the people around you. Walking in obedience to the government. All of these things are, are places where God has called us to walk in obedience for sure. There's places where we are under authority. But at the end of the day, the place that matters the most is our obedience to the Father. So where is it in your life where you've noticed that maybe you've let that slide a bit? Where is it in your life where you're not following the example of Jesus, where it's become my will, not God's will? We have to, with God's help and with his strength, fight to be obedient. We have to fight to be obedient. Church, it's not easy. It's not easy to walk in obedience to the Father, but he doesn't call us to easy things. He calls us to do difficult things, but he empowers us by his spirit. He makes a way through the sun, through the cross, for us to be able to walk with him and, and, and live for him. See, we have to fight to be obedient because when we're obedient to the Father, we stay under his covering. We stay under his protection and we walk out his plan for our lives. That's where we need to stay planted. So I encourage you today, stay obedient to the Father. What is it that God is speaking to you? You need to know him, you need to hear his voice, and then you need to obey and do the things that God has called you to do. I want to invite those of you who may be watching today who don't have a relationship with God, You've heard this message or maybe part of this message and, uh, and even maybe the part where I said you need to know God and perhaps you're listening to this today saying, I don't, I don't have that. Pastor Barry, I'd like to know God. I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now that uh, basically just would, leads you, your, your life to Jesus, giving your life 
to Jesus. It's a simple prayer. It's an easy prayer that you can pray and say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to put my faith and trust in you. And so if that's you, I'd like to invite you to join, join me in praying that prayer right now. We can all pray this together. Dear Jesus, I come before you today recognizing that I need a Savior. I ask that you would move in my life, that you would forgive my sin. I commit to follow you, and I repent of my sin. And, and Lord, I ask you to be my Lord and my King. And I commit to walk in obedience to you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to let us know in the chat section, or if you could click the link above and fill out a connect card and let us know. We'd love to be able to continue and follow up with you and, and give you some resources as you walk uh, this relationship, as you walk this road of relationship with Jesus. And church, I want to pray for you as we close today. I want to encourage you over the course of this week, would you examine your own life? Would you look at the places in your own heart where maybe you're being resistant to the Lord, saying, God, I don't want to do that. I want to walk in obedience. And allow him to do something in you, to do a work in you, that we would follow the example of Jesus and walk in obedience to the Father. So, Father, we thank you that you are a gracious and loving, good Father, and we come to you and we ask today that you would forgive us for the places where we have been resistant, where we've walked in disobedience. And God, we ask that you would teach us how to obey, show us how to walk in obedience to you, that we would follow the example of Jesus in our lives and be obedient in every aspect, in every part of who we are. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today. I want to encourage you, make sure to invite someone to, to, to join you for service next week. Uh, you can send them an email or uh, share a Facebook post uh, and just ask them to join you for service. We'd love to, to have other people have the opportunity to hear the word of God. Bless you this week. Pray God's uh, just provision upon your homes, safety upon you. Uh, be blessed as you go today.